Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. You know, in Washington, we may get away with things like this across the country. Parents are looking to plan their lives. They need the predictability of child care. And it's impossible to build in when, in fact, you put out a plan that says we're going to subsidize it for six years. Um, Listen, um, we're all realists. And what I've asked my colleagues to do is share with you um, approaches to bring affordable child care to everybody in America, but also um, to talk about their experiences in their states, what they're faced with, more importantly, what parents in their state are faced with. This is happening right now. That's Senator Richard Burr taking a look at the social spending bill, the $1.75 trillion bill that Democrats want to get through via something called budget reconciliation. They wouldn't need a Republican vote to do it. It passed the House, but you have Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, West Virginia and Arizona, respectively, who aren't on board with this. $1.75 trillion of non-infrastructure spending. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. It's happening, as I said, right now. Senator Tim Scott is speaking. I want to take it to the senator from South Carolina, and we'll comment more on it. Will Households across the country, specifically those households in South Carolina, the one like I grew up in when I was a kid, single-parent household waking up to the sense of desperation because you're... <clears throat> Gas prices are up nearly 75%. So instead of spending less than $2 a gallon in 2020, you're now spending over $3.30 a gallon in 2021. Imagine, if you will, turning your heat up or likely turning your heat down to conserve money because your utilities are up 25%. And then you wake up to the BBB, as I call it, the Build Back Broker Plan, And you realize that the bone-crushing, life-changing, hope-stealing, job-killing aspects of the BBB includes increasing your child care costs, as Senator Burr said, by $13,000. But to understand the actual impact of that $13,000, you have to first understand that the current cost is over $15,000. So said in a way that everybody in our nation can understand, and with median income around $34,000, you take taxes out, the cost of child care is now more than your take-home pay. Literally providing child care for one kid is more than the take-home pay of the average income in our nation. That's an interesting statistic. And I think people are going to argue it. But what it does is it sets up the conversation of don't tell us that wages are rising and everything is fine. Everything is not fine. It's just not freaking fine. And we should be honest about these things. We shouldn't lie because we don't like Joe Biden. That's crazy talk. Let's look at what we're actually looking at. And if somebody has a job and the job is eaten up by the child care that's needed in order to be able to fulfill that job, what was the value? What was the point of it all? Which very often means people are like, all right, I'm not going to work and therefore the job is unfulfilled and productivity is down. You see that one person not taking the gig because of costs 
creates two jobs that don't exist. The child care job and, of course, uh, the job that you would have taken. Senator Joni Ernst is speaking now from Iowa. Let's take, wearing a giant Hawkeye on her, on her blazer right there. Well, what do you expect? Let's take it to her to groceries. Uh, they are seeing the highest inflation in a generation now. Costs are up. The families are struggling out there. And what do the Democrats want to do? They want to force through this tax and spend plan, what they call Build Back Better. But what does that do? Within the plan, it nearly doubles the cost of child care. And this is what the tax and spending spree would do. Um, of course, with doubling the cost of child care, as been stated before, uh, families in Iowa, we're already what we consider a child care desert. I know when I had my, my sweet baby Libby, you know, all those years ago, I struggled in my little hometown to find child care. And because they're going to increase the cost of childcare and restrict who can have access to, to federal funds and subsidies, we will lose many daycare providers and the opportunity to have a child in a stable learning environment and care. Um, so that's, it's critical. Uh, what we've also seen too is that when you lose access to childcare and the cost nearly doubling in this plan, for those that are unsubsidized uh, and sending their child to daycare, there will have to be a significant choice at that point. One parent may decide to stay home because they can no longer afford childcare. And we know that most oftentimes that's going to be the mother. And already through COVID, we've seen many, many women exit the workforce because their child wasn't in school. Well, what does this do to that woman's future? The potential earnings decrease, um, the stability and opportunity to advance in their careers decreases. So it's, it's not just the children that are impacted, but the family as a whole. So again, if the Democrats want to proceed down this path and, and push through their BBB or what we call the, tax, tax, uh, the reckless tax and spend bill, parents are going to have fewer options for childcare and the cost of childcare for those middle income. I think it's pretty interesting how the Republicans are doing this. This is live. It's all happening right now. It's why I'm taking it. Uh, and they're talking about the, the Build Back Better. They're talking about the social spending bill that the Democrats have, have put forward here, the $1.75 trillion that, of course, has nothing to do with infrastructure. But both Tim Scott and Joni Ernst took a much different tact. They decided to personalize it. The thing that Republicans are the worst at, they just hit you with in the one-two punch. That's excellent work because it is personal. The, the ideological desires, and I, there's a lot to get into about ideological desires. The ideological desires of the political left do not have connection to the desires of the American people. The desires of the Ocasio-Cortezes and the Bernie Sanders don't actually relate to Midwest Main Street. They relate to college campuses. They don't relate to the people who have to make the harder decisions. They relate to the people who can make ideological decisions who never have to live with the result of their decisions. But that's changing. Because if these things do pass, eventually these college kids, these 20-somethings, 
will have to deal with it. They will get to the point they deal with it and they'll say, wait a second, this isn't what I wanted. Well, we warned you. We told you. We showed you. Tony's been talking about it on radio for years. Should have listened. Hopefully, they'll never get to the place. They'll realize, wow, that was a mistake. Very often what happens is, you know, this could be better if we had just gotten our plan through, and they keep pushing the lies of their plan. But ideologically, the desire is not for Americans to have it better. Ideologically, the plan is for Americans to do what it is the elitists want done. That's the reality. This entirety of, of a spending bill is a, 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 an homage to their most wokest desires and ideals. And as we're going to go through it today, especially when we talk about uh, this, this school in Denver, wokeism creates hate. Wokeism is bigotry. And it's why I believe in getting rid of all DEI uh, in, in, every, uh, in every school across the country. High schools can get rid of it. Colleges should get rid of it. DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, is about division. But they consider the division unity. Trust me on this one. You won't believe it when you hear it. Now, in order to get all this spending through, they had to raise the debt limit. That happened yesterday. $2.5 trillion debt limit hike. One Republican voting for it. That was uh, Adam Kinzinger. Of course, of course it was. Of course it was. He's, you know, he's a, he's a special, special kind of guy, that Adam Kinzinger of Illinois. Glad he's not running for re-election. I'm glad they drew him out of his district. How could you vote to do this? You have to send the message. The spending is too great. Less spending, please. That's what matters. That's what's important. I'm not going to argue that Republicans don't spend. No, 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 no. Ah, it's a bunch of, that's a bunch of garbage. Democrats spend, Republicans spend slower. But they still spend too much. They spend way too much. They have to spend less on everything except uh, the military. We need ships at sea. We need planes in, in the air. You have to deal with China. Dealing with China is more important than Planned Parenthood. Quote me. I'm cool with it. Dealing with China is more important than some kind of leftist ideological desire for a Green New Deal, whatever. It changes every second, changes every hour, so you never know what to keep up with. It is. Focus matters. Me, I like conservation. I don't like these environmentalists because they are some dangerous, ridiculous people. And I certainly don't like this $1.75 trillion in spending that doesn't get you anything except the political left ideological wish list. There are no Americans who are better off. There are groups of people who are better off because they get these payoffs and the ideological desires of the left are somewhat satiated for a day. But remember, these people started at what? $3.5 trillion. So now they're at half. If they're at half, why would they be satisfied? They don't believe the price tag matters. They believe that the, the, the vision matters. 
Well, we need to have our own vision and ensure that vision. We have to make sure that these people are voted out of office and people with a, a vision that allows us to live our lives without spending for somebody else's ideological fantasy. That takes place. So I wanted to share where, where some of these uh, senators were, and I'm very, very happy that they are personalizing this. You won't be able to afford health care. That's, uh, that's a strong argument. You won't be able to afford child care. That is a strong, strong argument. Indeed. Now, I've got a lot to get to. The latest coming out of South Africa studies on uh, the Omicron variant. I want to get to that as well. And, yeah, I promise you this this uh, unity division story out of Denver schools. You won't, you won't believe it. You won't believe it's possible. Except, of course, it's possible. We've told you it's happening. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. Jen Psaki was not happy being asked why Americans were left behind in Afghanistan. And she's certainly not happy being asked why they are still there. And her answer to Peter Ducey doesn't seem to hold very well. It seems that her answer is uh, missing the point. Well, I think, uh, let me just reiterate something that Tony Blinken said back in August, which is that if Americans who are in Afghanistan wanted to leave, whether it was three weeks from now, a month from now, two months from now, back in August, we would help them get out. And that is something that we've delivered on our word on. I would note that since that time, we've directly assisted 479 American citizens, 450 lawful permanent residents and SIV holders and SIV applicants to depart Afghanistan. Uh, that was That's important to convey because it's uh, it's important for people to understand who are there that even if they decided not to, even if they decided not to today, we are still going to help them to part and there's evidence of that okay 479 left behind is a lot higher than the 100 to 200 that president biden was talking about at the end of august 479 who we've helped depart right since august he said uh that he thought that there were we believe there are 100 to 200 stop right there just for a moment because what she did there was a sleight of hand peter ducey is asking about 479 people being left behind 479 left behind is a lot higher than the 100 to 200 that President Biden was talking about at the end of August. 479 who we've helped depart right. since August. He said, uh, that doesn't change the fact that they were left behind. How many of those 479 wanted to get out at the beginning and weren't taken out because you didn't properly secure the roads, because you didn't properly handle the Taliban, because you allowed other people on like grown men and put them at places like Camp Atterbury in Indiana when they should never have been allowed on the plains? And I'm not somebody who opposed taking in refugees. I think it was an extremely important thing to do. People who helped us. Afghans who helped the United States absolutely positively should have been taken in. Without question, I will go to the mattresses on that one. Grown men who had no part 
and helping the American forces should never have been allowed on planes, including being taken off planes and prevented from going on planes by gunpoint. Grown male Afghanis should never have been allowed onto any plane going to the United States or anywhere else if they weren't helping the United States in Afghanistan or helping an an allied force, let us call it that. This was one of the more despicable things that took place. Certainly when you realize that these able-bodied men were taking spots that Americans could have taken and yet there was no way to get to them, they were left for dead left to be tortured, left to be uh, auctioned off as bargaining chips, left to be Lord only knows what else. So her sleight of hand is 479 people we helped to get out. 479 people you left behind when you told us there was 100, and maybe 100 to 200. How many people are you not telling us about? You see how that works? I actually had to listen to it a couple of times to realize what it is she was doing. She, it was it was a good, I mean, re- respect the, the, the skill. It was a good jujitsu move. It was a good bit of judo there to kind of move that to say, see, yeah, we're bringing people out. This is exactly what we said we're doing. That's not the story. Story is you left them behind. And the number is four times greater than you told us. Four times greater. And that's the part that people shouldn't forget. Important thing to remember. Now, I'm getting some questions on uh, Twitter that I do want to answer. I do want to to get to. Um, But I, I, you know, I want to call my shot on something. I I don't know if I brought it up yesterday. I want to make sure I bring it up today. It's extremely important. Uh, I'm, I'm here to tell you. Uh, that, uh, that that lockdowns are coming. I want to get into that story. And the more I have been reading about these text messages that were sent to Trump and to Mark Meadows on January 6th, the more the political left doesn't have a story. And the really the uglier Liz Cheney looks. I think it's important that people say this was a riot. And we should have put it down. This was ugly, because all those things are true. But the more people talk about these texts, the less the January 6th committee has a case against Trump. I'll talk about it next. Keep it here. Pressing forward uh, with one piece of legislation to try and bundle together 30 years worth of far left priorities. And the American people are not warm to this idea. So let's actually solve the problems. Let's let's start by killing the toddler tax, the toddler takeover that the Democrats propose in this legislation. Let's repeal Build Back Better. Let's come together and solve these working class challenges. That's Senator Todd Young as they continue to speak there on Capitol Hill about the Build Back Better agenda. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. He is the senator from Indiana. 
I don't know what's going to be taken from this press conference and, and actually utilized, but if they can really start personalizing and saying you're raising the, the, the cost of childcare, you're doing this, you're doing that, and here's how it affects you at your kitchen table, uh, well, that's a that's the place that Republicans don't often live and breathe. Uh, they are uh, unfortunately very bad at connecting in that way. You know who was best at connecting in that way? Trump. Be clear. I didn't, I didn't ask if you liked him. I don't care what you think of his personality. In terms of connecting with people and reaching them where they are, come on. Unbelievably good. Before that, Ronald Reagan. That's why they call them Reagan Democrats. That, I mean, it's just it was just there, understanding that you're talking to a human being. You know who didn't understand that? Hillary Clinton. And uh, speaking of, I, I should I should note that there is a rumor. And the rumor is that Hillary Clinton is going to position herself to run against Joe Biden for the primary in 2024. Ew, David. What? I'm not the one who came up with the rumor. Don't get angry with me. Hillary 2024 is the greatest thing that could happen. Not winning, running, because she can't win. Greatest thing that could happen ever. Because it's not like she's become more likable. The same arguments for her are going to get made. It's going to be precious. It's what it tells us. That this rumor could exist in a way that that makes waves. And, and I can't tell you yet that it make, it's making waves. It could be something that got floated out there to do damage. <laughs> Rumors can do damage. You talk about Hillary running in 2024, who does it do damage to? Hold on. I did not bring this up to Producer Ari before we started the show. Producer Ari, let's, let's see how good you, you are at this. You, I, I float the rumor that Hillary Clinton is going to run... In 2024, who, to whom, does that do damage? <laughs> Hillary Clinton. <laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, Biden, I would say. Oh, Ari, so close. Kamala Harris. Yeah. Nope, nope, nope. Sorry, first answer is the only answer. <laughs> you're right, you're right. Kamala Harris, and who is the other one? Mayor Pete. And Mayor Pete. That's absolutely right. The damage is done to Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris because it says your two front runners for 2024 ain't good enough, which is also the correct answer. Now, if you ask, is Hillary crazy enough to run? The answer is, well, of course she is. Did she or did she not actually go on TV and read the acceptance speech she never gave for president in 2016. It burns her. It haunts her. She can't sleep at night. She can barely eat. She certainly can't look at Bill. 
She wakes up every day to Joe Biden being president. Do you know how many jokes she was in the room for that they told about Joe Biden when he was vice president and she was secretary of state? Do you have any idea? How many times she has patted Joe Biden on the head and said, no, who needs a cookie? Come on. Do you know how many times Hillary Clinton has heard Joe Biden give an idea and she has turned to him in a room full of people and said, bitch, please. My gosh. And he's president. He's getting a library. It's going to have two books. He's going to get a presidential library. And, uh, And she lost to Trump. Oh, it's got to burn. Of course she'll do it. Of course she will do it. But just just the rumor alone, very, very damaging to to Kamala and and to Pete Buttigieg. Very much so. Oh, it's one of my it's one of my favorite stories. Saw it, I was like, oh, that's amazing. This one, not so much. This is the the the, the headline, right? This this is the headline, and I, I know I'm going to talk about it later as well, but it, it's just so on, on the mind. U.S. reaches 800,000 COVID-19 deaths. That's the story. It's an Associated Press story. The U.S. death toll from COVID topped 800,000 on Tuesday, a once unimaginable figure seen as doubly tragic, given that more than 200,000 of those lives were lost after the vaccine became available practically for the asking last spring. Now, I I, I did not go to J school. Uh, I'm not a journalist. I've never claimed to be a journalist, and, and I am very clear about not being a journalist. That sounds to me like an absolutely terrible opening paragraph. It seems like there's there's a lot of personal thoughts in there, seen as doubly tragic. Lives lost after the vaccine became available practically for the asking. What? Man, journalism has gone downhill. But there's a problem with this. And the problem with this It says U.S. reaches 800,000 COVID-19 deaths. And then it says the U.S. death toll from COVID-19 is roughly equivalent to how many Americans die each year from heart disease or stroke. The operative word here is from. The U.S. death toll from COVID-19. I put forth to you that that is not true. The U.S. death toll with COVID-19. Okay. From would make one believe that these 800,000 people were perfectly healthy, walking God's earth. Then they were struck with the COVID and died on the spot. But we know that's not true. Comorbidities aplenty. Multiple comorbidities. Whether we're talking about obesity or hypertension, uh, diabetes, other issues. They weren't perfectly healthy people in their prime. They were multitudes in their late 70s and in their 80s who died. And they had comorbidities, 
other things at play. What does it take to be honest? Why can't we be honest about this? Why can't we say with, not from? Well, to say with is to then kind of lessen what the severity of COVID is. Allow me to be clear. When the numbers do come out, and one day they will come out, we'll find that the numbers of people who died of COVID, from COVID, and only COVID, will be less by magnitudes of hundreds of thousands of people. That's what we're going to find. This is part of that really, really ugly take uh, this idea that one cannot have any other point of view I I, I shared a a tweet and it was uh, with a link uh, to um, AHA journals right American Heart Association journals ahajournals.org This story was originally published November 8th, 2021. What does it say? It's an abstract. 10712 mRNA COVID vaccines dramatically increase endothelial inflammatory markers and ACS risk as a measured as measured by the plus cardiac test. A warning. The abstract that they have come up with here. Our group has been using the PLUS cardiac test, a clinically validated measurement of multiple protein biomarkers, which generates a score predicting the five-year risk or uh, the percentage chance of a new acute coronary syndrome, ACS, acute coronary syndrome. The score is based on changes from the norm of multiple protein biomarkers, including IL-16, which is a pro-inflammatory cytokine. And then, of course, it gets into a lot of uh, medical jargon to which I have uh, no expertise. Here's what I can do. I can read. Elevation above the norm increases the plus score, while decreases below the norm lowers the plus score. I'm sorry, I said plus, PULS, P-U-L-S, the PULS score, P-U-L-S. Yeah, I think that's saying that right. This report summarizes those results. A total of 556 uh, points or patients aged 28 to 97. Male-female ratio 1 to 1 seen in preventive cardiology practices, had a new test drawn from 2 to 10 weeks following the second COVID shot and was compared to the previous score drawn 3 to 5 months previously pre-shot. So they, ha- they, 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 they took a blood draw. Then uh, they let uh, the, the patient get both COVID shots. And then 2 to 10 weeks after that, they took a second blood draw. Baseline IL-16 increased from 35 above the norm to 82 above the norm post-vaccine. So, the argument, therefore, at the time of this report, these changes persist for at least two and a half months post-second dose of vaccine, 
we conclude that the mRNA vaccine, which is Pfizer and Moderna, dramatically increased inflammation on the endothelium and T-cell infiltration of cardiac muscle and may account for the observations of increased thrombosis, cardiomyopathy, and other vascular events following vaccination. Now, I ask you not to be a scientist, not to be a doctor. Let us not pretend uh, that we are something when we are not. By the way, the endothelium uh, tissue—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, um, it's a layer uh, that lines organs and cavities of the body, blood vessels, heart, uh, lymphatic uh, vessels. Let's not think like doctors. Let's not pretend that we're something that we're not. Let's let's think like people. Is there anything wrong with sharing this data that comes from the American Heart Association? I don't think there's anything wrong with sharing this data that comes from the American Heart Association. And this data from the American Heart Association is a conversation about inflammation because of vaccine, which is something that has been discussed very often, except when it gets discussed on Twitter or gets discussed on Facebook or gets discussed on YouTube. It's given one of those warnings or it's taken down altogether. Why? Why? If we can discuss vaccine, we can discuss issues with vaccine. Because, of course, there could be issues with a vaccine. I'm not even anti-vax. I think there's issues with everything out there. Well, Tony, they rushed it. I have said this from the beginning. I want to be perfectly clear. You You will never ever, ever get me to believe that Pfizer rushed the vaccine that could actually kill millions of Americans in order to make Trump happy. That didn't happen. Stop it. You know I'm right. I don't know why we're arguing. We could be drinking bourbon together. Stop it. Knowingly, no chance in no way. Unknowingly, I wouldn't know. And neither would they. But even that shouldn't be our conversation. Our conversation should be, what's wrong with sharing this information? Nothing. And the people who blunt this information, stop it from getting out, try and uh, 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 limit you and censor you, those are the awful people. Why is the Associated Press writing it that 800,000 people died from COVID when that's not it? But 800,000 people could have died with COVID. Do we understand? There's a difference. And we should be able to honestly address the differences. We should be honest and clear with each other. And you should be honest and clear with your own families and with your friends. And you should never, ever be afraid to discuss what's happening and be open to what it is the science teaches us. I, I, I can't believe that we're still doing this, but it's because of this that I call my shot and I'm telling you that lockdowns are coming again. I'll get to more of it. Don't, don't. We got a, we got a lot of show. I, we will get to it, I promise. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.
So West Side Story just got destroyed at the box office. This is the Steven Spielberg remake, $10 million debut. I mean, it did worse than In the Heights, which is uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, the, the play being made into a movie, uh, the musical being made into a movie. That was $11.5 million in the debut. And that was on HBO Max the same day, too. Yes, uh, and West Side Story was theaters only. And that could have something to do with it. Maybe people aren't interested in the story anymore. They've, you know, they've seen uh, the Romeo and Juliet remake. The movie's supposed to be brilliant, by the way. Spielberg at his best. It's interesting. Because I don't know if this is a conversation of wokeness or there's something else at play. Could just be that people only want to see hero movies. I'm Tony Katz.